Hey guys, before we start the show, I just want to give a quick shout out to another podcast. Hey, don't forget to check out the Pacific War Podcast week by week in association with Kings and Generals. Hey, and don't forget to hit that like and subscribe button so I can feed my two feathery co-hosts. You are listening to the Pacific War Channel's podcast. If you wish to see the video version of these podcasts, go to the Pacific War Channel on YouTube. Well, hello there. Welcome back to the Pacific War Channel. I am joined by my faithful co-host, Justin. What's up, everybody? Julian! Don't know where I felt like I get a little drink around here, do you, bud? Good to be back. And as you can imagine from whatever I title this episode, it's a bit of a different one. Yep. Yeah, a little less formal on this one, but uh, felt there was something we needed to talk about a little bit and kind of put our two cents in there. I can't do it. We'll do it live. Okay. We'll, no. we'll do it live! Fuck it! Do it live! I can, I'll write it and we'll do it live! And thing sucks! I mean, it goes without saying, since Putin's war began, I've been strapped to uh, the news networks, been watching it every single day, and I'm kind of obsessed with it at this point. And uh, I might have some future projects down the pipeline that have to do with Ukraine in some interesting ways. I might say a little bit in this episode, but I thought it would just be, uh, I don't know, uh, nice to uh, extend some information about, you know, what's going on in Ukraine. And we are not experts by any means. I am not a historian for Ukraine, nor the old Soviet Union, nor for the Russian Federation, for that matter. So uh, take everything with a grain of salt. But uh, we've both actually... We've been talking about it for weeks and uh, just it came to me that I thought it'd be a good idea to, you know, say a few things about it and actually surprisingly related a bit to the Pacific War, perhaps. Yeah, I mean, there are some similarities there. And, you know, I think, first of all, what we were both kind of thinking is our, our hearts go out to pretty much anybody who's stuck in this conflict on either side, yeah. because it's not just Ukrainians that are suffering, you know, uh, anytime conflicts like this happen there's pain and suffering on both sides and more often than not it's kind of needless so uh our thoughts to those people Go. hopefully it comes to a resolution sooner or, la or later doesn't look from the time we are recording this uh what is the day it's march the 21st so currently there is peace talks going on and you can't really trust the news networks from anyone uh particularly the united states for that matter i have to say the uh, news coverage from the united states has been awful for this i've been really strapped to watching uh different networks from uh, europe uh, tw for example is one I, I'm, I'm starting to like and uh the, a lot of the news networks have been really amping up some disinformation and making it seem like the situation's better for the ukrainians than it actually is and it, it doesn't help anybody um if the peace talks actually end and there is a resolution i'd be surprised at this point i can't for the life of me think it's going to uh actually stop i think putin is going for broke at this point yeah, he can't, he needs to save face. So he's going to go through with a lot more terrible stuff. Yeah, and I mean, uh, that's that's one interesting thing. I haven't had time to follow as many of the news outlets as you have. But when this first started out, you know, you had mentioned to me that I really should have a look. And I did a kind of a broad spectrum analysis of the early news of the incident. Yeah. From, again, tons of different media sources, ranging from anywhere between Eastern and Western Canada to United States to a little bit of European, French, all this stuff. 
and it is eye-opening how different the media coverage is depending on what region you come from true and you could try to chalk that up to just basic allegiance of kind of what side of the coin any particular nation falls on but it seems to be more than that seems to be very you know i don't know if it's financially motivated if it's politically motivated if both you know probably a lot of both geopolitics are always at play when it comes to any war yeah but it's uh it's unreal how twisted the facts can get and when it comes down to finding the you know, I don't even like to use the phrase finding the truth anymore the truth, yeah. because that's a, that's a very murky term. And don't look to us for the truth. Take everything no, no, we no. say with a grain of salt. Let's just say the, we're the, bona fide the, idiots trying to speak about issues that are greater than we could ever perceive. Yeah. Harry tells me you're quite the science whiz. You know, I'm something of a scientist myself. 90% of this is pure based opinion, mm. you know, with a little bit of sprinkled research in there. Kind yeah. of pretty much like the rest of our videos. But... But, uh, you know, we, we did feel like we should kind of go through a few of the, the key points for anybody who hasn't been up to date on it or, you know, wants some idea and opinion, wants some ideas on where you could research it more yourself. Maybe this can be a starting for you. And uh, actually, that's why I approached him. And I said the first thing to do is to watch a very specific video uh, that came out. Um, it's a real life lore, I believe, is the channel that put it out with why Russia invaded Ukraine. And um, beyond a doubt, if you're looking at the hundreds of variables at play as to why this war is occurring most of it is found right in that video and it's very well thoroughly done i can't say enough people should watch this video because the issues that are brought up in this video i do not hear about in the news and i'm very shocked so basically i'll not go through the whole thing but i'm going to try and summarize quite a bit of the video because the real politic or the geopolitical matters going on are alarmingly obvious i find and i think anyone who will watch this video would agree that it's undeniable that resources are really at the heart of this and very in a very specific way so i guess if you don't mind we can start this off with the invasion of georgia in 2008 yeah yeah and i mean uh you know, as we've talked about in many of your previous videos on this channel, whether you're talking about wars in ancient times or now, there always is a financial factor and a financial motivator there. You know, you, you talk about political differences, while well, most political differences are financially driven. Um, and yeah, in this sense, you know, especially the invasion of Georgia, we're talking about oil. We're talking about a lot of oil. Interestingly enough, and it fits like a glove. The playbook that's used with the invasion of Georgia and currently what's happening in 2022 with Ukraine, identical. That's what's startling. It's really startling. So for those who uh, aren't really aware too much of what happened, uh, Russia invaded Georgia in 2008. And there's various reasons as to why. One of the big reasons was Georgia was flirting with joining NATO. Hmm situation we see today with ukraine mm -hmm. but what's underlying that and what i think is a bit more important is georgia had a oil pipeline that uh, goes over to turkey and this was basically threatening russia so russia is a petro has been a petro state for quite a long time as i think everybody knows at this point it serves most of europe's needs for natural gas and i will just check my notes here because i had to write notes for this because i'm not an expert in any of this the pipeline in question, which is very hard to pronounce, Baku Tbilisi Seham, I probably butchered that pipeline, was being built 
through a dual effort with Europe and the US. So a similar situation is playing out in Ukraine actually, which we'll get to later. So the West is helping them build this pipeline that would circumvent other pipelines that Russia has been using to get gas through that area of the world. So Russia decides to recognize two states in Georgia, which are Abkhazia's Abkhazia, oh my God, probably mispronounced that, and South Ozidia. So same uh, playbook as in Ukraine. Putin has said that these are two independent states, uh, language like, oh, you know, they're Russian ethnic, ethnic people, we need to protect them. And then he comes in, he puts peacekeeping forces in the beginning and then starts to attack. Uh, there's other issues at play. Uh, this area of the world uh, where Georgia sits upon is actually kind of a buffer zone uh, for the Middle East and uh, the what used to be the Soviet Union, which is the, Federa uh, the Russian Federation now. So um, it kind of hits all the buttons. You can't see this if you're listening on audio, but I'm lifting up fingers. It is a buffer state that Russia needs, and it is a state which Russia needs to do certain things so that resources are still going through Russia's control. Whether it be, you know, just allowing Russia's pipelines to be the only ones in use, not circumventing them, or securing any uh, oil or gas in the area. Although uh, Georgia doesn't have much of anything, nothing really that great. Not to mention, even if it's not your product flowing through the pipeline, if you own it, you can tax it. You get a piece yes. off the top. And um, Russia got away with Georgia because, well, it was mostly because other things were going on in the world, uh, you know, the Iraq war and everything. Like, the United States had its hands full, and Europe was never in any state to do anything because, God, Europe has really not stepped up to the plate when it comes to these kind of conflicts. In a good, good way, like, they shouldn't necessarily. Well, and I mean, to, to, to slightly segue this into what's happening now, too, with the Ukraine, is uh, the whole fact that all this is happening just before at the crux of when the specific country is trying to join NATO. Now, what I didn't realize, again, not being a, a geopolitical historian myself and really not researching this beforehand, I always thought that NATO branched out after World War II. Mm -hmm. I found out recently after doing some reading that NATO more came along after the, during and after the Cold War, mm. which was a direct response to Russian threat. But the whole point of it to be that if the specific country joined NATO, the other countries would now be obliged to come to their assistance directly yes. should Russia invade. Now, obviously, Russia is one of the bigger boys in the world right now. Well, has always been, again, as we've talked about in a lot of your previous videos, the sleeping bear. Yeah. But... Um, the fact of Russia taking on the entire world is not now uh, after the 80s uh, Russia was not capable of actually waging war against anyone else in a second tier power which it's exactly. doing right now exactly not to make fun of Ukraine but the realistics it's a in military capabilities you know Russia is still one of in the top 10 list and Ukraine is not so it's an unfair fight by any yep, means 100% but were Ukraine or Georgia at the time or any of these nations to have joined NATO, now all of a sudden they have the direct backing, not just weapons support or peacekeepers or anything like that. Now they have direct military backing yep. from the NATO alliance, which basically would have stopped Russia in its tracks. And it makes it much more complicated for Russia because NATO can place missiles in that country, can threaten Russia's borders, can do all, it can mess with you a lot. Yeah. And then now Russia, instead of bringing the fight to another nation and trying to assimilate it now they could be bringing the fight home into their own territory yep 
uh, and that's a big one. And, you know, what we were discussing beforehand too, which I didn't know, and again, I've been trying to do more research on, but uh, is apparently a sort of unwritten agreement between George Bush Sr. and Russia at the time um, that when Russia let Ukraine go, which was in the early 90s, I believe, somewhere around there. So, yeah, when the collapse of the Soviet Union happened in the uh, Ukraine, claimed its independence yeah, in one. It was 91, right? Yeah, okay. Sorry, again, not a historian, not good with the years. Um, apparently, there was an agreement made between Russia and George Bush Sr. that George Bush Sr. would not allow Ukraine to join NATO, which kind of worked out for Russia because, you know, I'm, I'm assuming in the back of their head, they figured if they ever wanted to go after it again, it wouldn't have the NATO backing. Well, on top of that, there was the agreement once the Soviet Union um, ended, there was the agreement with, uh, I can't remember the representative from NATO, uh, who was speaking to the, uh, the leader of what was the Soviet Union and then the Russian Federation, and there was a verbal agreement that NATO, I think it's called Not One Inch East is yeah. the name for it, they agreed that uh, NATO would not extend its membership, and here's where people are going to be screaming at us, because it's interpreted different ways by who you ask but uh, not extending past what would have been Eastern Germany, or some people interpret it as not extending into Eastern Germany. So it's just exclusively yeah. talking about Germany. And this is a verbal, regardless, there's nothing signed on paper, but Putin has made a real, real issue out of this one saying that, you know, NATO had betrayed Russia because as we all know, after the Soviet Union collapsed, NATO expanded quite heavily. Uh, the Baltic States had joined, uh, Eastern European countries joined and it really if you were looking at it from like let's say arguably devil's advocate Russia's point of view it does look like you're being encircled <laughs> it really uh, does a, a little bit and again you know talking about different perspectives of media and stuff like that yeah looking at this agreement from many different sides you can even see the names of different cities where this uh, line so, so in the sand so to speak was drawn and yeah, yeah it's different everywhere you go so makes it a little bit tricky on the inter interpretation side. But, you know, the whole point being is Russia, I guess, in a sense, feels betrayed because now U.S. is legitimately going back on their word and trying to bring the Ukraine into NATO. And then, you know, you can make the other argument that all these nations joined NATO rightfully to protect themselves from the thing that was controlling their lives. So, yeah, you know, it's kind of like who who really is at fault in here? And, you know, it could be that no one's at fault. And these are just coincidental events that come into a cataclysm like World War One, for example. Yeah, well, that's the point. You know, us two, we're not here to throw blame in any particular direction. Except for to... Putin. Obviously, he's to blame for the invasion. <laughs> but, uh, okay. I'm glad you sent that one. Uh, if anybody wants his address, just, you know, let me know. And uh, Putin, if I'm worth the target, you know, if you want to spend how much rubles, which aren't worth much right now to come after me, go for it. But just make sure you nuke his birds along with them, please. Oh, no. They're annoying. Leave the birds alone. Uh, so I guess let's get closer to uh, what's happening today. We're going now in time a little bit to 2014, yep. which... I remember when this happened. I really took it for a very serious issue. And I remember, because uh, Stephen Harper was in power, yeah. one of the few leaders in the world who really stood up to freaking Putin. And it really does anger me when my fellow compatriots, Canadian citizens, besmirch the character that Stephen Harper, for whatever reasons you had, but you have to admit, man actually stood up to Putin and said some hilarious stuff to his face. Prime Minister Harper was the one who came out swinging. 
According to Harper's officials, Putin approached the prime minister for a handshake. Harper obliged reluctantly. I guess I'll shake your hand, but I only have one thing to say to you. You need to get out of Ukraine. The Russian officials confirm Harper delivered that message, but Putin responded to Harper's demand to withdraw from Ukraine by saying, quote, that's impossible because we are not there. Like that infamous when he had to shake his hand and he was just like, get out of Ukraine. <laughs> Jeff, c come on. I think Trudeau wrote an angry letter at some point. Yeah. Oh, yes, yes. Uh, sorry, our, our fantastic <laughs> prime minister who hasn't besmirched the character of my country over the past few years and yeah anyways we'll get into that but in 2014 uh suddenly crimea is invaded what why and this is the i think this is really the crux of everything uh and a lot of people do not talk about this one specific issue the year before the actually two years before the invasion of crimea which is shown in the youtube video that i had mentioned the ukrainians suddenly discover an unbelievably large amount of natural gas in the Go uh, figure yeah and it's located in uh the sea you know where the crimea peninsula is and it's located basically in the jurisdiction of ukrainians so it's they're held part of the water uh there is also some gas uh, natural gas found in uh what do you call it, shale rock in the western part of ukraine and then in the eastern donhask region that we all know about today and this isn't a small thing this is a lot of natural gas particularly in the crimea now what you have to understand about Russia for the past, like, 30, well, sorry, since the Soviet Union, Russia's a petrostate. Russia has been supplying Europe with natural gas for a very long time. And the largest pipeline goes through Ukraine. And it's Ukraine's been tariffing Russia since they had split for billions of dollars a year. Quite a pain for Russia, but Russia had to abide by it because I mean, they were in decline. They went through a, a mafia period in the 90s. It was really awful. And, you know, that's the way it, that's the way it is. So Russia spent a decade building up pipelines to circumvent using this pipeline going through Ukraine. You know, the Nord Stream pipe, uh, number two. They've had number one for a while that goes over the North Sea. They also have some pipes that go uh, through, I guess you'd say it's the Black Sea and, you know, goes into Turkey to circumvent Ukraine. They don't necessarily stop you they, they haven't stopped using the ukrainian pipelines not till recently but uh they've been doing all this efforts to really you know squeeze every dollar they can because like 80 percent of their gdp sorry well 50 percent of their gdp relies on the export of the oil and gas sector yeah. this is the only thing that they have they have not really developed much more than this and, and that's the dangerous part when you have a country who's entire production relies so heavily on one product yeah. you know you could argue the same now we're getting into states and things like that but you know if you talk about quebec without hydro oh, yeah, if, we're being, or, we should be cast out of the rest or, of the country or if you talk about western canada without oil yeah. and forestry yep. the, the, the those you know you take those three things or those one thing yeah. from each individual area and the entire thing collapses yeah canada we would not survive as a society if we didn't have our oil despite what I'm sorry to say, and I completely agree with everyone, you know, on the green side of this and climate change, we don't really have the technology to uh, change it up right now. And Canada would, we would be dead if we didn't export gas. Like it's just, that's the reality right now. Russia and Canada are kind of ironically in the same situation, except our GDP isn't that reliant like Russia is on it. Like it's really, what do you call it? They're a one stock 
states or when you have like when you're reliant on one state yeah 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 yeah. but uh so when ukraine finds this natural gas this is twofold an issue number one oh my god now ukraine has gas so i was the big dog the number one petro state giving all this gas to europe and now i have to compete with someone that's not good what's double not good ukraine has a pipeline that's going to use it's already there and now i can't use it because ukraine is going to sell to the people i'm already selling so it's kind of like a double double whammy on you know when it comes to the competitive nature of it yeah and at the end of the day even if the gas going through the pipeline is the same price russia's taxed on it ukraine's not and countries are more willing to deal with ukraine because as soon as Ukraine found this, Ukraine was already always kind of in the talks, I think, in the mid-2000s about joining NATO. But it's a, it's a flimsy thing that was up and down, and it was never going to happen. But as soon as they found that natural gas, Exxon and Shell, two Western companies, came right to their door and knocking because Ukraine was not financially capable of developing it. So they were going to come and help invest by screwing over ukraine and stealing all their money but anyways from russia's point of view (laughs) that was like wow ukraine is going to be dominated by the west and what happens they're probably going to join something like perhaps the eu i really don't think nato was ever a thing i do i can for the life of me not see yeah the idea was floated around back there but it wasn't a concrete uh possibility back then and uh so from a geopolitical point of view the resource issue is absolutely enormous with this but from the border issue, if you look at a map of Russia and you got to flip it, because, you know, the way Russians see the world is not the way we see with like the globe view. It's like if you're looking down the barrel of Finland, you've got this corridor, which is Ukraine that goes right to Europe. It's an enormous buffer state that's necessary for its defense in, yep. in old world times. I mean, today, as we can see, uh, tanks are not what they used to be. And I, I don't know if it's the whole idea of Ukraine as a buffer state, I don't think that actually helps Russia as, as they think anymore. But anyways, it was an issue. And obviously Putin thought it was an issue because he invaded Ukraine and made up a complete bullshit thing like he did in Georgia, saying he was protecting ethnic Russians. And he took the Crimean Peninsula. And uh, he secured uh, pretty much most of that gas, or at least stop- he actually got Exxon and Shell to get out of there. And that probably was his goal. And that was great. But the Ukrainians weren't going to just sit down. He literally, this is when the war really starts to kick off, right? And Ukraine goes through its, um, God, what do they call it? The revolution of uh, dignity or something. Uh, when, uh, you know, the corrupt puppet that was working with Russia for so long, he gets kicked out and Ukrainians form a, a democratic government. Although, and th- this doesn't belittle Ukraine grain of salt with the democratic aspect to that it's a lot of corruption i mean every government's corrupt but you know there's a lot of corruption involved yeah. in this but yeah, uh, i still think there were heavy russian influences in there because they couldn't just chop that arm off entirely no 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 russia's got its fingers in there yeah but uh once russia took crimea crimea has a one gateway for water to come in and uh, ukraine shut it off they put cement in that and you think oh well, it's whatever you know not that much water gets into Crimea. No, this had a disastrous effect on all their agriculture. It really like destroyed yeah. Crimea and it's costing Russia billions of dollars a year to keep them like just up because Russia has to because the whole issue, as far as I'm concerned, I'm saying this is my own opinion. This is about 
containing that natural gas issue. And that worked for a while, although, you know, they're literally having this war going on. And then as years go on, we get closer to 2022 when we're in this situation. Suddenly, Russia is talking about two independent states in the eastern part of Ukraine, the Donetsk and Luhansk region. And, uh, Donetsk and Luhansk, uh, I'm so sorry if I'm mispronouncing this, regions. Although it's often just referred to as the Donetsk greater region, which also happens to be where a lot of that natural gas is found, that eastern pocket. Mm. Can't be a coincidence. And yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, the, the thing is, and this is kind of part of what we were trying to get into, is that this is not an isolated incident in the sense that there are similar conflicts going on all over the place. Yes. I mean, if you look at a lot of the stuff that's going on between Turkey and Greece right now. Oh, of course. And I mean, just 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 fighting over tiny islands, which are seem to be insignificant, but when you realize how much oil wealth and stuff lies under those islands, you know, all these claims of, oh, well, we have a right to this territory because of whatever, and we were pushed out of here, and it's uh, it's for the, not historical, what, what's the word I'm looking for? The Well, historical grievances always give a little bit of legitimacy to these things, even though... No, but they're, they're, they're not trying to base it on the fact that it's about the land itself or the resource itself. They're trying to say it's a cultural thing, yes. and this land belonged to us, and... These people are actually ethnic, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. They speak this language, you know, it actually... And I mean, again, I, I'm, I'm not saying I lie on any particular side of that coin, but it's it's all a crock of shit. It's, it's about the oil, it's about the resources. Yeah. I, I wasn't going to make the comparison because I, I like to bring it to the Pacific War because you know it's, it's my channel but if if you really are looking for a comparison when it comes to like the Crimea or even the current invasion of Ukraine you gotta look at the, the war in Iraq yeah WMDs are what they were looking for yeah and it had nothing to do with the guy in charge wasn't playing ball anymore and there was a lot of oil involved come on you have to do the math France has fought so many of these wars in the Middle East and in Africa for the same reasons, and no one talks about that. It's an awful thing that country's done. Yeah, but it's uh, it it all ends up being the same thing. There's yeah. an underground, there's an underlying motivator, and maybe again, it's not the only reason, but I do strongly believe this might be what pushes them to go to the next step, rather oh, than course. it just being a smaller conflict that gets resolved maybe there's some politics there's a couple treaties or agreements signed money changes hands yeah. it gets dealt with but when they're talking about that much money at stake that's when you get conflicts of this magnitude if you were to play devil's advocate and you're trying to think you know what legitimate reasons is, does a country like russia have to do what they're doing um their state depends they're a petro state they're not i'm, I'm not trying to make fun of the russian people this has nothing to do with you the government of Russia did not diversify the economy. It did not modernize appropriately like most. And that's an issue. Like it's yep. very reliant on the natural gas. Canada is in a similar situation, but yep. we're not as much in that. We don't have our eggs in one basket, so to speak, as much as Russia does. And this is it's actually mentioned you know, we don't have the military power to go and take somebody over if it doesn't go our way. So we're screwed either way. Maybe we could take Iceland. And I don't even know if that would work. I, I think we've seen the size of the fucking strongmen in that place. I'm not going there. 
Um, I'm not taking on Thor right. Bjornsson for after he uh, just beat Eddie Hall. Yeah, we were just way, talking about that one. Really fun fight to watch if you guys didn't see it. Eddie. Very entertaining. Um, this my boy game. Eddie, I feel bad, but yeah. We'll Thor, Thor looked amazing in that fight. He looked like he was controlling it. Yeah, but at least, you know, as far as celebrity boxing goes, if that's what you want to call it, at least they took two elite athletes and not two scrawny YouTubers oh, yeah. that play pranks for a living. So right, we're getting way off. <laughs> I thought that was great. Uh, yeah, yeah. No, but to go back to the topic again, sorry to keep dragging it astray. But yeah, there, there are definite ways you could see how Russia would feel vulnerable or even violated, cheated, you know, from all the things we listed. The fact yeah. that their number one resource is now technically un- at risk. I'm not going to say under attack. That's, you know, maybe I, a little bit I, of a stretch, but. And ironically, now because of the way things have gone, they've completely screwed themselves when it comes to that resource. Which, yeah, that's, that's a whole other topic. But, you know, their number one resource is at risk. Yes, you could talk about NATO expanding past the supposed lines, which at that point, Russia, yeah, they feel very alone. They're pinned between that whole area and a sea. They got nowhere to go. They got nowhere to run. So it's, you know, when you back a dog into a corner, sometimes it lashes out. So I, you know, I can definitely see that. And again, you know, from what we said at the beginning of the video, we're not, we're not blaming Russia as a country. We're not. uh, No, I can't, I can't stress enough. I'm going to try and stop saying that Russia is invading Ukraine. It should and rightfully be called Putin's war. Putin is invading. Yes. A lot, apparently, and I'm going to say this with a grain of salt, apparently a lot of stories are coming out then. When a lot of these divisions, battalions are meeting up at certain areas, they have different mission statements. Like some groups of Russian soldiers have been, if this is to be believed, have been saying, I was told this is a military exercise. Another group says, I was told this is a peacekeeping mission. Another group says, I was told we are doing a cooperative military operation with the Ukrainians. So there's a lot of weird, confusing, and like we said at the beginning, the media is doing a terrible job of portraying the information, particularly the Americans. I can't say this enough. If you are an American, I stress, go watch news from another country because all of the news cycle from America is just what's happening in Ukraine and how does this involve American politics? And it's disgusting. Like it's only about the Democrats and the Republican party and how this involves them. It's like, no, just talk about what's going down on the ground. Like seriously, anyways. Yeah, no, but that's it then. Again, we acknowledge at the beginning of the video, we know it's not just Ukrainian suffering. A lot of Russians have paid the price for this, um, both in conflict and out of it. I mean, there are Rush, completely innocent Russian people that are facing sanctions. They're facing reprimands. Anywhere from yeah. athletes to politicians to businessmen are losing their shirt. They're yeah. losing their... I heard like Russian shops are getting, you know, broken in. Like uh, if you own like a Russian restaurant, it's probably getting like beaten up and stuff it's, it's kind of like what you used to see in the racist mm. days of uh, canadian history when there was some anti-asian sentiment going on in uh, the west mm. you know they yeah just... or you know my obviously the the favorite punching example is uh you know not to blame every german you've ever met for world <laughs> war ii yeah, yeah of course i'm sorry but it's 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 a fair fact you know so obviously we're we're hoping that people don't go out there and slander the entire nation for the decision yeah, you of shouldn't its... go after the russian people go after putin and uh, perhaps the oligarchs because i mean you know well they have a good hand to play in this yeah and uh i mean the only thing else to say about like kind of what we're calling part one here is um it's very funny that russia chose i mean from a military perspective i guess it makes sense to attack the south part of crimea and the eastern parts close on your borders and all that 
but they also happen to be the places where the oil and natural gas is found. So I find that particularly interesting. And I find it interesting that as we speak, if you look at the territories controlled by the Russians, since they seem to be in a quote unquote stalemate, not, not really, they could unleash weapons that would do much more and horrible damage to the civilians. Let's hope not. But uh, they control all the areas necessary to control the gas right now. And I think we'll talk about it a bit later. I think they've achieved their objectives and they're just sitting on them right now. If anybody doubts that, then just go gas up your car and look at how much it costs you. Oh my God. If I would, it, it's painful. I drive, uh, I drive a gas guzzler and I'm not too happy. I want to get an electric car now if I can afford one. Yeah. Yeah. I love when the, some of the politicians are like, Oh, you can't afford gas. Go get yourself a $50,000 electric car. Yeah, because we can all do that. Yeah, nice little Prius there. Oh my god. Anyways, uh, for for kind of a part two, I actually wanted to bring up uh, the Pacific War, and the reason why I'm doing this is because I was reading a Japanese newspaper, and one of the senior, I guess, editors for this newspaper brought it up, and he he had an interesting quote. I don't know if I saved that quote. Let me see. You uh, did. You sent it to me. I'm not sure where you put it. A hair. As noted, and I don't have the name of the editor, he didn't release his name, but it was in the Ashi Shimbun on March the 3rd of 2022, and he wrote this to conclude his piece. In Japanese history, the Manchurian incident devolved into a quagmire that was the second Sino-Japanese war, and the nation kept proceeding on its path to ruin. Russia is now destroying Ukraine, the global order, and its own destiny. What this man was trying to say in his piece, it's a very short piece, was he was making a comparison between the invasion of Manchuria when the Empire of Japan was around and the Ukraine situation. And I myself have thought about this too, because there was a lot of uh, compelling parallels between the two. And it might sound weird to people, but it's another geopolitical incident that involves resources. It's a little bit of the opposite. So way back when, in the 1920s and 1930s, uh, Japan was going through some terrible times. Great Depression hit Japan, uh, like everybody else, in a little bit of a different way. But uh, as everybody probably knows, if they know their Pacific War history, Japan is not an island full of resources. So in the early 1930s, Japan has an extremely exploding population. It's unbelievable how much the, the population is going up. And this has a large amount to do with the fact that they have uh, occupied Korea, who I would almost call Georgia in these circumstances, if you want to make the parallels. They had to take Korea to force the poor state of Korea to cultivate rice for their booming population. So they were, fi- they were doing a band-aid situation and they were exploiting them commercially. Yeah, well, we've talked a lot on your channel about what the rising population of Japan did even prior to that era, but in that period as well, mm-hmm. you know, in terms of food needs, this and that, overpopulation, lack of work, uh, far, you know, farming and uh, production going up and down like a freaking yo-yo in those times. Yeah, you know, it was a tough time for Japan, but you know, they saw resources, and they went after them. And Korea didn't necessarily have the most amazing resources, but Korea was an area that had some agricultural output. But Manchuria, ever since, I don't even want to say the Russo-Japanese War, ever since the Sino-Japanese War, the first one, Manchuria is known, maybe not anymore, as the breadbasket of Asia. 
And as many people know, Ukraine has historically been known as the breadbasket of Europe. Ukraine supplied particularly Germany with all of its wheat and the Soviet Union and etc. It's a, an enormous wealth of wheat. Manchuria was the same, but for Asia. Japan and Russia, because Russia is involved in this, were fighting for you know, the same thing. They wanted it. It's uh, irons are there. It's a little bit of oil, not much. Uh, there's a vast amount of land for a booming population to emigrate to, or land to yep. cultivate food for a booming population. So Japan performed a false flag operation in 1931, the Manchurian incident, as it's known, mm -hmm. and they began an invasion of Manchuria under different pretenses, which were hilarious. And no one bought it. Everyone wrote nasty letters, like the, the League of Nations at the time, which was the precursor of the United Nations, wrote very angry letters. And the United States had this uh, report proving that Japan was uh, the culprit. They did the false flag operation and nobody did a fucking thing. Sorry for the swear word. Nope. And then Japan got its fingers in the cookie jar. They didn't have it all, but suddenly, Japan said, there is an independent people in Manchuria that have this ancient heritage, the Manchu people, which did exist. Mm -hmm. Ambiguous, by the way, what they actually are. And they're like, oh, well, we have to protect them from the rest of China. And this is actually uh, the new state of Manchu Kuo. And by God, we're going to put the rightful emperor, Puyi, the last emperor of the Qing dynasty, on it to legitimize the fact that they just created a puppet buffer state government. So they have achieved, the, with the invasion, they've achieved grabbing what is basically natural resources to keep them alive because they need this. They're, they're in a yep. dire situation. And they've always wanted a buffer state to protect them from the greatest nemesis, which is Russia for them. This is exactly like Ukraine. If they managed to camouflage it a little bit better, but even then, people were calling BS on the whole thing. Oh, from the from the very beginning, actually, the the person who noticed it, well, two people noticed it very well and made moves after it. And their names were Benito Mussolini and Adolf Hitler. It inspired this particularly inspired Hitler to invade the other countries. What he saw was the willingness of other countries to get involved in matters when two countries go to war and you know invade. How much can you put your foot through the door? Literally, anyone who, who knows the Pacific War from this angle knows that the, actually the Pacific War influenced World War II in Europe quite a lot in the 30s, because you can argue it, it started in 31. It's a bit of an unofficial war, but as years go on, in 1937, the Japanese do the same thing again, another false flag operation, because they want to take more territory within more parts of northern China, and they end up taking like Inner Mongolia and other places. And there's a rationale for why they do this. They're getting a bit greedy and there's parts of the military that are not necessarily under their control that are on the ground that kind of get gun ho and go off and take parts of Northern China. And then this leads into what we know as the Pacific War. But much like Ukraine in 2022, it's similar in scope and scale. You know, Putin has grabbed Crimea in 2014, and it's now causing him problems because of the resistance he's facing, and they're costing mm -hmm. him money in Crimea with the cutting of the water. When the Japanese took Manchukuo, they had a similar issue with border skirmishes. I mean, from 31 all the way to 37, there's an enormous amount of battles, and it's kind of an unofficial war between China and Japan. But two and two together, it really does look alike. And the reason why I want to kind of end with this is we look at 
the Second Sino-Japanese War from the perspective, like you can get rid of 1941 onwards with the Americans and the British getting involved. But just from looking at Japan and China, Japan fully believed that they were going to just stomp China. It was a matter of taking Beijing and they're done. They take it. It doesn't work. They're like, oh, um, well, we got to go to Nanjing. We take it doesn't work. They, the Chinese just keep moving their capital. Chiang Kai-shek keeps moving further inland, moves the industri in, the, in the industrial complex inland. Then all of a sudden, outside people start supporting Chiang Kai-shek and start giving him weapons and start funding him. Everybody's basically funding China against Japan. And Japan finds itself isolated and then sanctions and embargoes come upon it. And Doesn't it, that sound familiar? And then it gets squeezed to the point where it performs suicide by attacking a state like the United States of America. Yeah. I mean, I think that is a big part of it, both yeah. from that both from the Pacific War perspective of Japan and from Russia's perspective, whereas the first the first invasion and the first takeover, whether you're talking about Georgia or even the early attacks on the Ukraine, yeah. which were supposedly disguised as peacekeeping, or, you know, they tr they tried to pull the wool over our eyes a little bit, mm -hmm. is, is almost testing the waters just to see what the response is going to be and who the response is going to come from. Because mm -hmm. is the response going to come from somebody that we can fend off, or is the response going to come from enough people that, you know, we're just going to get crushed? Because obviously it would be in their interest to take those states entirely. Yes, it would secure the uh, the shale oil in the east, and that leaves Ukraine with a little bit in the west. And I don't know the numbers, but I would imagine Russia would retain its uh, its number one petro state still, and Ukraine isn't yeah. much of a competitor, and everything's you know status quo, which is what Russia wants for the next. Well, I would imagine until Putin's dead from his point of view. Yeah, but I mean, look, I mean, now we're getting into hypotheticals too, but if, if Russia controlled Ukraine and its entirety and all those resources, I mean, Russia's literally, uh, we're talking Scrooge McDuck level of rich here. Yeah. And, uh, you know, if, if Japan had to, you know, if you're talking a straight head-on confrontation at that time between Japan and China, again, we're talking about a fractured China, we're talking about this with no outside help. It looked like it was a done deal it looked like it was a done deal. And imagine Japan back then owning all of China. Oh, it would have controlled the world. I mean, so uh, it would have been interesting. You know, obviously these are extreme scenarios that would and probably could never happen. But point being, you know, from their perspective, the, there is something to go and grab there, which again, is a motivation. And it turns out when your generals and your military give you reports about how well things are going to go doesn't always work out the way that they say as we are seeing with both the situation currently it's march 21st so if you're listening to this two weeks from now like god knows what happens right but as, as it looks right now oddly enough and i i am shocked to disbelief with the situation with the russian convoy and how it's facing the muddy conditions that saved russia during world war ii it's kind of ironic and I look at, you know, the Sino-Japanese War in about the 1939, let's call it, that year is when the Japanese start really getting stuck. And they keep performing these very grand operations to take Chongqing, and it doesn't work. And even if it does work, there's no proof that Chiang Kai-shek won't move further in, into the interior of China. 
and they yeah, know they'll end up in Europe. He doesn't care. <laughs> yeah, well, the, the, and the Japanese, the logistics of the Japanese of the IGA is garbage. And uh, actually, I'm sorry to say, but for the Russian military, it seems like they have a logistical issue as well. And um, not to say two and two is oh my god, this is prophetic. No, not at all. I'm just saying it's it's interesting to make a parallel between these two. And I thought it was honestly, it was quite interesting and nice of this Japanese uh, editor to write this piece because it really says a lot about the situation in Russia. Russia has never been as isolated as it is today. The sanctions are shocking. I can't, I honestly, I'm quite surprised by the lengths that some of the countries have gone to. And uh, <laughs> it, could, could, it could continue more. And the amount of weapons going to Ukraine because the old you know, military industrial complex, uh, especially from the United States, is really pumping to make money off this. And I'm sorry to say, like, yes, it's a great thing that the Ukrainians are getting support, but you have to acknowledge that there's some bad stuff going on. Conflict is great. Yeah. When you're the one selling the guns. Because guess what? It's not great if either of these people are getting killed. I don't think anyone wants to see civilians get killed and all this is, you know, but yeah. Nope. Not to say that there's any good answer to all this because it's also true. But. You know, and we'll get, here's part three. Okay. We're going to say our, our two cents of how this is going to go down and what we think. I think it's in the hands of the Russian soldiers in Ukraine at the moment. It seems that there are a lot of groups um, giving themselves up or realizing that something is amiss and that the mission statement was false, perhaps. And it, it's up to them and protesters in Russia because I, for the life of me, can't see Putin stopping. I mean, I don't know if that's how it's going to end. The problem is, is the, the way to directly end this would be with intervention from another one of the big boys, but... That would be Nobody World wants, War Three. <laughs> exactly. Nobody wants to do that because that's it. We're 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 literally turning the key and pushing the button for World War Three to start. And not to mention, none of these other nations want to take the chance of bringing a fight to their home territory. Um, I mean, it would be bad if uh, no, not, not a single like a NATO nation cannot get involved. You hear every single day the talks about no fly zone. A no fly zone is World War Three. If you enact a no fly zone, it doesn't just mean, oh, we're escorting Russian jets out of Ukrainian airspace. No, it's a lot more than that. It pushes into Russian territory. It's an immediate act of war. A lot of the things right, going on right now, actually, Putin keeps changing the goalposts for what he considers an act of war. Like the sanctions, for example, what's going to push him over the edge to uh, do something crazy, like a nuclear attack? I doubt, I for the life of me, doubt that Putin would ever do this, but he could uh, do some other stuff. I, I don't think so either, but, you know, the, the problem is, is right now, as horrible as it is, what's happening, what's happening there, we hope that it stays contained. No, that's selfish to say, because it's not No, us no, but, Ukraine, but, yeah. but that's the problem, is like I said, if another nation steps in it's so much directly... Worse. Yeah. then it starts to spread. And if we start having, you know, global or even more spread around Europe and Asia, uh, now we're getting into even more serious conflict and a lot more needless death. Mm -hmm. I hope that with the just the military or, you know, the support of other nations that they're going to reach some form of a stalemate. And hopefully that's when negotiations are going to start. And well, unfortunately... 
Yeah, but uh, let's be real. Nothing's getting signed in the next short term, at least no. not in my opinion. The demands from both sides are unreasonable. It's, yeah. yeah, unfortunately for now, I think whatever agreement does happen, if one is reached, uh, is going to be unfair to the Ukraine. It will uh, be. I, I think yeah. they're going to take it in the teeth for now. They're hopefully. giving up the two regions in the east crimea is, has to be recognized as a, a part of russia or an independent state whatever russia wants to sugarcoat that lie as and uh, the demilitarization of ukraine part and aspect of that i couldn't for the life of me see the ukraine saying yes to this after being invaded that's absolutely ridiculous yeah we want to take you over but we promise we won't if you yeah. just get rid of everything you have to fight oh, us with promise you won't join nato that's the easiest one on that list of demands. And duh. Yeah, I think Ukraine's like, yeah, yeah, okay, we get it. But seriously, like, it, it, it's all shadows and mirrors. Like, for, for, honestly, I, I've said this to a lot of people when I'm talking at uh, bars and stuff, you know, stupid talk. But if you take a map right now and you look at what is actually under the real control of the Russian forces right now, because horses, bunny ears right now with my fingers, horses are, are stalled as they say, or in kind of a stalemate. The media loves to use the word stalemate, which it is not a stalemate. Anyone who's listening to this, who's in the United States, when you hear the media say this is a stalemate, like it's not. The Russians are literally holding both hands behind their back right now. At any moment, they can unleash hell. This is, it's precarious how they're doing this. The Russians have all the territory that gives them the oil that they need. And if parts of those territories were under Russian control, I think the rest of Ukraine, they don't care about, and they'll give it up. But they seem to have reached their objective. And for some reason, all of a sudden, they're bogged down. I don't buy it for a minute. I, I really, I'm sorry. I'm not seeing anything bad about the Ukrainian resistance. It's been outstanding. It's actually like, we've really seen the Russian military capability right now. This is Leonidas yeah. in the 300 right now. But it's the, been an alliance fight. And I don't know how, how, if, if those convoys have legitimately been stopped because of just what's you know going down on the ground like wow this is an eye-opener for every general of every country right now because this is they're they're writing notes this is crazy yeah the, the whole idea of how conventional warfare is fought has been changed yeah and, and that's a big reason why i tried to choose my words carefully and i said if this reaches a stalemate because you're 100 percent right R R russia's holding everything back right now and oh. just waiting either for a juicier target or like i said as a tester to see who's actually going to step in the ring yeah they uh today i think it was today or yesterday they used their first hypersonic missile and there's zero reason to do so it's it, basically the purpose of this weapon is it's so fast it can get past all the defensive barriers ukraine doesn't have the defensive barriers but a country like you know the united states or even israel mm -hmm. has defensive barriers that can't withstand this so it's basically like russia just giving the middle finger saying we have weapons that are capable of this it's them showing off and yeah, yeah that's all you need to know is russia is playing it's like a it's a game of shadows and mirrors where you think russia's just dealing with ukraine but no russia's it's just 3d chess they're dealing with all hundreds and hundreds of variables right now when they're doing these peace talks and uh i hate to say it but i putin is an i'll say an evil character but i do not think he is stupid i do not think he would lightly do what he's doing i do not think he could have misjudged the situation this much i for the life of me there has to be some kind of horrifying end game to this and i think he's holding cards 
I don't know what they are. I was just going to say something like that. For some reason, I didn't want to use the word endgame, but it's, uh, I know exactly what you mean. I know a lot so. of people are going to not like this episode because they might be hearing stuff like, I'm just going to say up front, I am absolutely not supporting what Russia is doing, what Putin is doing, sorry. This is disgusting and should not be occurring. And I hope to God they reach a peace settlement that somehow allows the Ukrainian people to have some semblance of norm normality again, because this is awful. Like the amount of freaking refugees right now is unbelievable. It's, it's terrifying. And this doesn't belittle all the other incidents that have occurred in the last like, 30 years. Like the war in Syria is just as awful. All the places in the Middle East, you know, I know there's a lot, a lot of racial talk about the situation in Ukraine, how it's, uh, not, it's overrepresented compared to other things that have happened, and it's true. I one of my best friends is uh, Kurdish, and what's happening what's happening to the Kurdish people in all parts of the Middle East is absolutely disgusting. Yeah, and you know, obviously, like you said, we can always just hope that they they come to some kind of resolution. I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon, and obviously, we just have to sit and wait what happens. But we do encourage everybody, like we said, look at different media outlets. Don't just stick to your one local news channel. Yeah. Really spread around you. And again, once you get to that point, you form your own opinions. You figure out where, who you think is right or where you think the ball yeah. should lie. That's completely up to you. We don't hold any grudge as far as that's concerned. Only trust but, YouTube channels with under 10K subs. Yeah, who drink, uh, <laughs> who drink lousy who beer drink while they ramble terrible on about beer. <laughs> Yeah. And if anyone thinks this is a, uh, you know, for clout or anything, it's absolutely not. I'll, I'll say it here. Um, I'm going to be doing some content that has to do with Ukraine. As I mentioned, the whole comparison with Manchuria, I wanted to, I wrote a, I wrote a script and I really wanted to do an episode to make a link to the two, because in my channel, I'm actually coming up to that point in history where we're going to really be talking about Manchuria. And it's an interesting parallel. It's yeah. the only reason why I kind of really want to have this talk. And yeah. I also do want to do more episodes where it's it's more of a conversation. Uh, the people who are listening to this might have seen the last three episodes, which were very different for this series with my other friends, Eric and Ian. And uh, that's more of the direction I'd like to go in and to really talk about things that the audience is interested in. And I'll, I'll say it here. I got a comment today uh, from a guy who asked me what I thought it would be like if the Chinese won or the Qing dynasty, for that matter, one of uh, the Boxer Rebellion. And um, perhaps I'll do an episode on that. This is an interesting topic. Couldn't yeah. I can't even imagine what the hell would happen. That's a really weird one. Yeah. Well, anytime you get into those theoreticals, you're talking about a, a big power becoming the ultimate power, which it's, it's a scary thought almost. Yeah. But um, yeah, and uh, we're definitely going to put the links to both the article and that video if anybody wants to watch it because for sure they're very very good, very good so um i recommend it to everyone I, I meet anyone who's you know talking about the ukraine they always bring up oh you know putin wants to resurrect the soviet union or the the russian empire and i'm like yes that's the part of it of course but i, I always have to say this when it comes to war always look for the finance the finance tells you everything and for those of you who Mm. oh it's not out yet on kings and generals there will be an episode of kings and generals that i've written coming out very soon about some financial things revolving around military confrontations and it's a very good episode and i'm not an, an economic historian but i did my, my due diligence on this one it opened my eyes to a lot of things he, he double checked with a calculator he didn't get anything wrong so 
I use two digits. <laughs> Anyways, I think we've gone, uh, I think it's 45 minutes, if I'm not yeah, mistaken. Somewhere around there. But uh, yeah, we just wanted to shed our two cents on this. Again, we're not experts. We're just two guys drinking beer and giving our opinion. But, uh, yeah. you know, everybody's going around talking about it. And, you know, from the early reports that came out, I think a lot has changed even. Oh, God, yes. So it's uh, it's good to kind of stay current and keep up with things. You know, maybe if things continue to evolve, we'll make a follow-up video, a shorter one. Yeah, if you like this, you want to throw it in. Yeah, by all means. Tell us, please. Uh, if I release this on YouTube, obviously put the comments there. But for you audio listeners, please, you know, just go to my YouTube channel and just any video, click on it and just write anything you want to say to me. Uh, I always, uh, I respond to just about everything. Yeah, I hate, you know, I hate the uh, YouTube cliches of please comment and subscribe, but uh, comments, we were, you know, comments, feedback, even requests, we really do appreciate because we do, in a sense, want to do what you guys want to see. Yeah. I, while I, still keeping it within the wheelhouse as much as we can. The last three, but, uh, uh, the last three podcast episodes, uh, which were titled, you know, what if um, Japan attacked the Soviet Union? The second one was what if Pearl Harbor was different? And the third one was what if Japan won the Battle of Midway? These are all specific questions. The Kings and Generals community asked me on a Discord conversation I had when I was talking to them. And I answered every single one of my private channel here. And I'll answer anyone else's questions. If you ask a question like that, or if you ask you, oh, can you please cover this subject? I will try and do it. Yeah. You know, even our Southeast Asia videos during yeah, uh, World exactly. War One. You know? A lot of the Vietnamese community asked me, hey, I, can you please do the Franco-Vietnamese War or something, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, okay, I'm doing World War One right now. Maybe I can do something on Vietnam, you know, during World War One and some more Southeast Asians, particularly the Filipinos wanted something. And I, I tried to piece something together and, you know, it came about this is how things come about in this channel yeah so just no. you demand and i try and give it yeah we want to hear what you guys think and if you comment enough craig will do an episode without a shirt so yeah i'm gonna have to work out a bit more it's been a rough winter <laughs> thanks lego <laughs> you took the gym away from me all right well thank you to anybody who tuned into this and uh we'll catch you guys next time over and out <laughs>